Welcome to the Request 2021 podcast. In the winter of 2021-22, a team of 10 members of scouting, eight from Kent and two from Scotland, will be sailing together on the Bark Europa tour ship from South America to Port Lockroy in Antarctica. The plan is to sail exactly 100 years after two scouts sailed on Shackleton's original quest expedition. I'm Alan Noke and I'm project leader and I'm the person who came up with the whole crazy idea in the first place. Uh, each of the participants is to carry out an Antarctic research project. So my personal project is to produce a soundscape record of our journey. That's before, during and after Antarctica. The plan is for this podcast to include interviews, scouting historical links, events uh, and research project work that we record along the way. So uh, please join us as we venture to Antarctica and back again on the journey of a lifetime. It promises to be a memorable experience. So welcome to a very special Christmas Day edition of the Request 2021 podcast. Uh, And if you're listening uh, over the holidays, then season's greetings to you and yours. Uh, If you're listening in the future on a summer's day, uh, then you'll just have to imagine the scenes of ice and snow. Um, If all goes to plan, this time next year, 2021, on Christmas Day, the Request team should be out in South America, ready to embark on our sea voyage to Antarctica. Uh, So that's really exciting. Um, And this episode, uh, very appropriate for Christmas Day, uh, we feature our interview with Wayne White, the 2020 manager of the South Pole. Uh, But first, uh, I've recently recorded an interview for a future podcast with author Brad Borken, And uh, I thought I'd include here a short preview extract all about his co-authored book. And the book's called When Your Life Depends on It, Extreme Decision-Making Lessons from the Antarctic. Uh, The book focuses on the real life and death decisions that are made by the early Antarctic explorers like Shackleton, Scott, Amundsen and Mawson. Recently, the audio book um, was actually a finalist in the prestigious Voice Arts Awards and won Best Audio Book in the History category. So here's a short clip of Brad discussing the book. There's so many wonderful Antarctic stories from the heroic age. You've got Mawson, you've got Amundsen, Shackleton, you've got Scott. There's six expeditions. Uh, you've got all the history and all this this stuff, and you've got all these decisions. I mean, they're right. the little decisions. Yeah. The great big the decisions of Scott taking five men rather than four, or Shackleton, what to do when the ship had been crushed. And you've got the little small decisions. Okay. What should Shackleton take with in in the lifeboats when they were discarding everything? Do they take the Bible? Do they not take the Bible? Do they right. Coins do not take coins. Do they take the photographs or not? And as we started going through this, we realized... First of all, there was never a book written like this. Mm-hmm. And the more we worked on it, the more we realized we were the guys to do it. And I think Great. that desire that without our complementary skill set, uh-huh. 
neither of us could have produced the book ourselves. We needed the other person yeah. to announce the ideas on. And now for my interview with Wayne White, the 2020 manager of the South Pole, uh, with bonus questions and answers at the end when he answers uh, questions that members of scouting have submitted all about the South Pole. So here's the interview with Wayne White. Tell us about yourself. Tell us how you how you came to be who you are. Yeah. So. Okay, sure. I'll try to be somewhat succinct, but I would say it all started as a, as a young Marine. I joined the Marines at 18 years old. Uh -huh. um, and after I, after I got out of the Marines, I, I uh, learned a valuable lesson from a couple of valuable lessons from that. One, I'll always be a Marine. Mm -hmm. Yes, Marine, you're a Marine mm -hmm. yeah. forever. Yeah. Once a Marine, always a Marine. And also, I would never let anybody have that kind of power over me again. Yeah. <laughs> so, so okay. you know, the, the, that have and, and it just just um, mm -hmm. um, while I while I'm I'm certainly glad I had my service time. It was uh, also a lesson in um, you know what happens when people you know, have full have control over you. Like yeah. that was just something yeah. I, I've stayed away from since. But um, been on to college after the Marines, mm -hmm. uh, have a couple of degrees, and then uh, a number of years working of all things the nuclear industry. Doing can I can I ask work. what your degrees were in? What 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 were yeah. Yeah. yeah, I have a degree, a bachelor's degree in geography from Cal State okay. Fullerton. Yeah, and I have a master's in public health, environmental sciences from Tulane School of wow. uh, uh, Tropical. Uh, let's see, public health and tropical medicine. And did you do them in parallel, or were they in series? They were years apart. Actually, yeah, yeah, I did okay. them some years yeah. apart. I finished the okay. bachelor's first, and then the master's yeah. was master's. later. Yeah, fantastic. Right. During during that uh, during the time I was doing. Um, um, power environmental type work in Southern California, I started doing expeditionary travels and I concentrated on New Guinea, which is my okay. uh, favorite place that I chose because I think it's probably the most remote place on the planet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I did about a half a dozen trips through New Guinea, trekking alone. You know, I was always alone. They used local porters and things, but alone. And um, I crossed half of it, uh, the area in Jaya, the Indonesian side. Mm -hmm. um, but I brought back a lot of, uh, from that trip and a trip, um, see a trip to the Amazon, uh, which I was killed on that trip. I have a, a newspaper oh my my God. house, my old house. It, it discusses that, but here yet I'm still alive, but oh um, my it's God. just a long, a sad story. Okay. But, uh, and then some stuff in Africa too. I'm a big fan of the Zulu tribe, the, right. the Zulu war. So I was able to complete a, a, a walk through Zululand following what the 24th regiment followed from Peter Maritzburg. Up and what sort of age were you at this down. time? Oh, I was in my thirties. Thirties. Yeah. Okay. Early thirties, yeah. twenties and thirties. Mm -hmm. I should say actually mm -hmm. from twenties to through the thirties. Mm -hmm. And then a major thing occurred where I was, uh, um, doing this and working, but I started feeling like it just wasn't enough going on these trips and then coming back and leaving a, leaving mm -hmm. a standard job wasn't nearly enough. Mm -hmm. So I made a big move, uh, February of 1994 and went to a British island of all things, Diego oh. Garcia, British Indian okay. Ocean Territory. Okay. And I ended up spending five and a half years out there right. between there. And we had a project at Singapore, uh -huh. but since that time, I'd been all over the world working as a contractor, mostly for the military. Yeah. Uh, from Diego Garcia, I would next at uh, uh, Midway Atoll, Northern Hawaiian Island, 
from there, Shimia, Alaska, which is at the far end of the Aleutian chain, Alaskan uh -huh. Aleutian chain. From Shimia, I was to Iraq, spent some time in Iraq. Wow. From Iraq to Kuwait, spent time working in Kuwait. From Kuwait, I went out back to the Pacific to Wake Island. Okay. Um, small coral atoll, famous Second World War battle on uh, in the far Pacific. Uh -huh. From Wake Island, I then went to Afghanistan, spent right. time uh, in Afghanistan. From Afghanistan to Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And then from Saudi Arabia, a short trip, you know, short time back in the United States working at a place in Maryland that mm -hmm. on for the with the my, the intent being I was on my way to a project out at Ascension Island, another British island. Yep. Ascension Island. Yeah, I know Ascension Island. Island. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, place. in fact the quest, would have quest out there. the quest expedition went there on the way back. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful place, and I'll tell you what, Alan, I'd probably still be there. But then this Antarctic uh, uh, 2016 mm -hmm. um, opportunity uh, made me end up leaving a little prematurely, a little earlier than I thought I would. And mm -hmm. I've spent now the last three, almost three out of the last four, and a little more uh, years at the South Pole. Okay. So that's kind of a like. So, so the point of that is what I would say is this. I yeah. worked out something the other day on the number of years I've been doing this type of work. And in 26 years, I've been gone at these remote sites or something for over 21 of maybe 22. Of yeah. Them. Yeah. So that's what I do. Great. It feels natural. <laughs> so you, 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 you feel you're a free spirit or definitely yeah and yet yeah. i have a nice home mm -hmm. an old home well mm -hmm. old by texas standards uh-huh it holds my my ex exploration museum here in rockport texas so mm -hmm. i'm always i've always been a big believer in having a base camp a yeah. thing that you can come back to yeah but the funny statistic about that old house was <laughs> the first 18 years i owned it <laughs> i had a tour group come through it once and i worked out that in 18 years the longest i'd ever been in it was three weeks oh my god yeah so it really I've been in it many yeah. times yeah yeah for yeah. a couple of days mm -hmm. a week 10 days <laughs> but never longer than that for okay. the first 18 years <laughs> yeah so that's kind of my life yeah I, I and i get it i did a lot of traveling in my early 20s um i took uh six months out of work and went off travel traveled all over um and i've never stopped traveling since really um so I'm a big, big traveler. And then obviously through scouting, got involved in, in expeditions and uh, I've taken expeditions to Africa and uh, various parts of Africa. I've been, even been to the Congo, which was quite interesting with the, with, uh, with. Oh yeah. 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 That was Difficult fa to get in there fascinating too. country to visit. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, but certainly we share a love of travel, I think. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, yeah. And let me just mention something else. As you mm -hmm. mentioned, the Congo, mm -hmm. um, I wish we were in my old house now because the things I have in there, um, I'm very much into historical, mm -hmm. into history. Mm -hmm. And um, that house is filled with things. In fact, just wow. the other day, I purchased a spoon that was owned by Dr. David Livingston oh my God. Uh, from his 1858 <laughs> Zambezi expedition. Right. It's in a little leather case with his name. It had been owned by his niece for many, many years. He okay. had a shrine. Um, I've got a, uh, a ring that Henry Morton Stanley, you know, Dr. Yeah, Livingston, yeah. I yeah, presume, was his yeah. ring with yeah. his name on there. Oh, crikey. And then polar things, too. I actually have a, a piece of the endurance, a small piece of the oh, skull. Oh, my word. You can believe that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's... It's a, just a tiny, couple of tiny little shards <laughs> uh -huh. of this, but 
but that along with some other things that I that I that I have and you got um, you've and got, I took those things yeah go, go, go ahead I'm oh, sorry I was just gonna say you've got you've got the provenance for that how, how do you know it's yes yeah yeah I, I had to work on that a bit because something it was kind of an unusual auction for the endurance spar I know mm-hmm. the spar resides in the the actual spar itself resides in the Scott Polar Museum yeah in Cambridge I yeah think it is. that's right yeah. I contacted those people they mm-hmm. didn't know anything about it, but I also have a friend who's quite a renowned collector in New Zealand who is mm-hmm. involved with the auction and involved with the person who had the shards are in a little glass vial and they, yeah. they're their real deal. Yeah, I'm pretty okay. sure there's yeah. enough provenance there. Yeah. They were, now Great. whether they should have been taken off that spar. Great. So that, I mean, that's brilliant. So you I see- brought that up about the collection stuff. Mm-hmm. I brought that up about the collection stuff only because I, when we'll probably get into it with other questions, but to me, these great explorers are, you know, what, what, um, what I seek to in my life to be able to uh, honor, mm. you know, through mm. things that I do. Um, and we'll get into that with the polar things. Right. Uh, that's never forgotten for me, mm. those guys that went before us and Absolutely. did those amazing things. Absolutely. I think it's a, it's an incredible legacy. It's, it's... Well, i tell you what, I mean, to get back to you here, mm-hmm. what you're doing, I think is a phenomenal thing. And you, and, and, I could see why you were eight years in advance because you're probably mm. thinking of that hundred year yeah. anniversary. Exactly. You're, you know, yeah. which, which you'd be able to hit. And and what an epic thing that was, those scouts going down on the quest expedition. Incredible. Uh, incredible to go thing. that long ago, you know. I mean one of them yeah. I I, yeah. I did I did you know, I did my talk and one of them uh hadn't even been out of the Orkney Islands. So he, not not only had he not only was he heading off with Shackleton to Antarctica, this guy had not even been on a train, you know. So wow. to, 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 you just can't imagine, you know, that he hadn't been to yeah. London. He hadn't been to London, let alone, you know, so sail to Antarctica. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Great. Anyway, well, sorry. it's exciting. It's amazing that you've taken on this thing. And I'm sure by now it's taken on a life of its own, like yeah, you say, with all it. the other people and all the help and the mm. resources and things. And we're we're you know, building up some really interesting partnerships and stuff. Yeah. Good. 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 Right. So you give me a, a potted history of how you how you got to where you are now, <laughs> um, yeah. and uh, that's brilliant. So. So we've done our E is earliest memory. Now this can be your earliest polar memory if you wish. Uh, some people prefer to do it as earliest polar memory. Um, or or can you do you have an earliest memory that's significant to you? Well, it's interestingly enough, Alan, I, I just I, on my Facebook page, I posted something some time ago. And for some reason, it popped up again. I don't know why photos do that sometimes where all of a sudden I'm getting comments on an old photo. It must be something yeah. Facebook does yeah. that yeah. releases an old photo. Well, yeah. it was a photo of myself wearing a little exploration suit, a pith helmet, a rifle, a, a <laughs> camera, not a camera, a belt with a knife and a pistol. I was five years old oh, brilliant. in that photo. Brilliant. And, and That's so prophetic. that popped up again. And, yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and it was, you know, but the thing was, was as a kid, um, I knew what I wanted to be. I remember, I remember that I wanted that thing so badly. I saw it in a store and I was with my mother <laughs> and I asked her to buy it and in the end, Santa brought yeah, it. So Santa Claus. So it's a Christmas memory too. But but it was my it was a you know I've had memories of things before, but it was my first memory. I know. of Something I wanted yeah. that 
that was related to where I would go in life at five years no, old. No, thanks for sharing that. That's the one. See, this is what we're trying to get to. It. <laughs> Everybody has that sort of memory that's sort of significant that, you know, and that, that was a, a prophetic moment, obviously. <laughs> if you're going to do was. all this a future, future uh, explorations. Wow. Thank yeah. you. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. Thank you. So that's good. Um, okay. Now, this is our special question. The cue is uh, our special question. If you if you could go back in time and meet Sir Ernest Shackleton, what would you want to ask him? This is probably going to sound funny, but I'd want to hear his candid views on Chippy McNitch. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the second time this this issue has come up on this podcast. <laughs> it's, it's, it's such an important you know, issue. <laughs> and I mean, all the other things are great. What did it feel like? You mm-hmm. know, ninety-seven miles from the pole. But yeah, because all people now, what I'm getting at with that is that there's a whole school of thought that poor Chippy McNish and the other fellow that didn't get the polar medal were slighted, but Chippy yeah. did all these great things, yeah. which he did. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about mm-hmm. that. But I also know as a leader, there was a lot going on yeah. for Ernest Shackleton to decide to do that. Things that history is lost to history yeah. that we'll never know. Yeah. And to have someone, a crew, and I've had three South Pole winter crews now mm-hmm. that would be so disruptive. And in a position like that could be downright dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, you might have some things that, you know, the person did uh, that, that helped and all that, like, like McNish did. But the point is, is that that could have been a terrible thing for that group. And so that's why I would ask, I'd want to know a little bit more about that. Yeah, so that, yeah. You know, what really was going on, things that Ernest left Because he, he wasn't the only one that didn't get a medal, was it? No. No. But there it was another there, guy, there, too. Yeah. But it, it was significant. You can. Uh, I don't know if you've come across the play uh, Shackleton's Carpenter or not. Have you come across? I, I haven't. I've heard about it. If you ever uh, get, if you ever get a chance, I highly recommend it. It's brilliantly written. Absolutely brilliantly written, and uh, it, it's all about Chippy McNeish, obviously, and 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 the relationship with Shackleton. So, well, wow. well, and it it, it it's. Yeah, high, well worth a watch if you ever get the chance. So, yeah, I'll look yeah. for it. I'll mm. look for because mm. I am a fan of Chippy and and, mm. and his poor cat. You know. Yes. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But, fan of the cat. You own the cat. <laughs> yeah, I have the cat. You can't make it to the South Pole, Chippy. <laughs> oh, that's great. And there, there is a uh, there is a book as well. I haven't read it, but there's a book called Mrs. Chippy or something. Yeah, I've, I, I know somebody's I've seen written it and that. I have a I need to get a copy. Yeah. yeah, I must read that sometime. Yeah. <laughs> the trouble is, I have so yeah. so many polar books to read. <laughs> oh, is yeah. that that's how it is? Yeah. When people ask me. I had I've had people at poll especially they would say oh Wayne would you like to read this and I've got a stack of like ten that I'm behind you know <laughs> I just can't catch up cool great so we're on you now now you is uh, unexpected truth so is there something you can tell us that we might not expect about you something something that might really surprise us that I have nearly twenty cats now is probably oh yeah That's- something. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't broadcast that. And my lovely wife, I was counting them up from poll, 
And I and then <laughs> I got home and I see these new faces. Oh my and god! And I said to her, there was one big black and white one that was crying like a baby. I'd never seen him before. I said, like, who the hell is that? He snuck she said, in. Oh, that's Arthur. <laughs> so, so, so the, the thing is, we have a colony, and in the cat colony that we have, we have enough land and things to yeah. take care of them. But the price of admission is they're going to be spayed and neutered immediately. So that's what happens. <laughs> that's what they give up. So you literally so, have you you have twenty cats. Yeah, I do. That's like, amazing. That's, that's amazing. Like, I, they don't all come in the house. Yeah. Um, and have you have you always have, have you always lived in a cat family? Has it, have it always been cats? No. Or? No. So this is, <laughs> so when did I, it? I shouldn't say that. I I grew up and had a had a cat. Yeah. But then what happened was my wife and I uh, worked around the world and 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 never had okay. any kind of pets. Yeah. Yeah. Never had it. And then she fed this one scroungy little cat <laughs> about I don't know how many five or six years ago. Uh-huh. And boy, that started an avalanche. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> we know the vet must, very well. It must cost you a fortune in cat food. <laughs> It's a lot of cat food, a uh-huh. lot of you know medical care and yeah. things like that because we do take care of them. Um, but it's a labor of love. Uh, it's you know it's a, it really is. I love I love them these kitties and I, interestingly enough, from I spend a lot of time watching them. And one thing yeah. that's interesting yeah. about cats, if you see a lot of them, is they're all so different. Mm. Um, mm. They all have distinct personalities, yeah. which you. Mm. You really notice when you have many, okay. but the point is what I'm, you know, it's, it's been interesting because I'm working on a couple of books. You didn't, did you know Ernest Hemingway had like 50 cats? Whoa. Did you know that? I didn't know that. No, I didn't know he was, uh, I, I've, I've read quite a bit about him with uh, Michael Palin did a lot on him and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't know that. Oh God. That's quite something. <laughs> well, well, he had, they have now mm. at his estate, there's he has that many probably when he when he had cats it wasn't that many the colony has grown but the point i'm making i'm working on a couple of books and mm-hmm. one of my things about writing a book is that i'd like to be a, an author and do some things rather mm-hmm. than just look as a crazy cat guy yeah okay so yeah <laughs> brilliant Okay. <laughs> anyway, got away with it. Yeah. He could yeah, carry it off. Yeah. Go. He was having away. <laughs> Great. I, I mean, I couldn't think of a better unexpected truth. So thank you for that. Um, right. Where yeah. where have we got yeah, to? I kind of keep it to myself. All right. We've got we've got to E, which is emergency rations, uh, which is food. Now, clearly, food must be very important to you down there in in Antarctica. Yeah. So is there any food that you crave for when you're down there or have to take with you or any food stories? Well, first off, and my lovely wife would attest to this, is that because I'm a Marine, I can eat anything. Yeah. So I don't have a very, I don't have a very fine palate. Those, for, those, you know, those U.S. Uh, Army ration packs. Yeah. <laughs> I used to like the sea ration. Yeah. I can. So. Yeah. But there are, Alan, there are things that, that you, you crave. Um, mm-hmm. I ended up with uh, a couple of containers of these uh, olives that were stuffed with garlic right. um, that I brought down. And I thought, oh, they were so good. Yeah, they yeah. So good. And they, um, those would stay quite uh, moist, I would think. They're, in yeah. a, they're packed yeah. in an olive yeah. oil type yeah. thing in a glass yeah. jar. But I had a couple of those. 
Um, there are things we crave. All our food at Pole is frozen mm -hmm. and it's quite, fro it's quite frozen. <laughs> and so, Whether you like it to be or not, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Okay. So other than a little bit we can grow from the greenhouse, there's nothing really fresh. Uh, so there are things like I really crave um, real good Mexican food like we would have here yeah. in Texas. Yeah. With the yeah. spices. Tex-Mex. Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah. Okay. Love it. Love mm. it. Yeah, I can, I can, I can uh, relate to that definitely. Okay, and we'll take you out. You stop yeah. by sometime. We'll take now, you out to a now, place now, you'd like. Now we've got to S. So now this is interesting because I know the answer to this one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> is there some special item <laughs> that you would take to Antarctica with you? And do you want to tell us the special item that you took to Antarctica with you? <laughs> Well, okay, I'm going to say Mrs. Chippy, right? Mrs. Chippy. Yep. Yeah. That was, uh, that was special to me. And I, you know, it was uh, to get to get him down there. Yeah. Um, for one thing, because it was, uh, I, you know, I, I was a, a support for your organization. And then oh, for me too, there was a symbolic thing that that cat made it to the south pole yes you know? this is um, it it was really to, to for us to get that photo was significant that really was it was it was like our project is sort of with you there you know so yeah. <laughs> i felt that way i yeah. felt you guys yeah I felt thank you, folks you. There yeah. with me with that little stuff okay cat. Uh, so we we need to say for the benefit of the listeners that um we 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 my mum found this stuff cat uh it's mrs chippy which is shackleton's um it was the the cat on it was uh, Chippy McNeese's cat on the Shackleton uh, uh, expedition, the endurance expedition. That's right. So, and it was a replica, wasn't it? It was a replica, yeah. and it actually on the yeah. bottom of the cat tells the story of That's right. Mrs. Chippy, Mrs. Chippy, what Mrs. Chippy did, and the, you know the, yeah. the sad thing that happened, but the fact that Mrs. Chippy was. Um, was in an Arctic on the endurance expedition. Yeah. A member of the expedition, which is amazing, and uh, it and, is amazing. And we we auctioned it, and and who 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 should uh, win the auction but Wayne? Uh, and and when I found out that Mrs. <laughs> Chippy could be heading to the South Pole, well, <laughs> yeah, it was natural. Al. It was just a natural thing to do. <laughs> that, that's fantastic. Okay, great. Um, is, is there any other, we have to ask, are there any other special items that you always have to have with you on your expedition? So. Well, you know, it depends on where. When, I, um, when I'm on, uh, you know, tropical type things, I was always big on knives, on mm -hmm. custom-made knives that I carry for those things that I have a number of. Um, for, the, for the South Pole, mm -hmm. I really got into the period clothing, and I had, a, yeah. I had an anorak that I, saw I wore. That that was a uh, copy made in Norway of Amundsen's. Um, it's a heavy canvas with mm -hmm, a, mm -hmm. a lining that he wore. Um, it's, it's what his men are wearing in that famous photo where they're looking at their tent at the South mm -hmm, Pole. Mm -hmm. um, and I loved, I could wear that. Uh, it looks great in the, in the photo. I love them. Yeah. Really. And then the wolf skins I had, uh, I had made, uh, uh, the, from a photo of Roald Amundsen that I had, but they're Inuit, mm -hmm. Inuit, um, design from Siberian wolves, and I, I, I could wear that on at minus seventy five C. Right, I was out in that with that, and there was nothing warmer. Uh, Unbelievable! It, 
it's and just to say something about that because it's yeah. something I'm real careful on when I post on Facebook. There's there's certainly anti-fur people out there, and I totally mm -hmm. understand that mm -hmm. I'm in myself when it comes to the thought of raising some animal and you know for their fur. I find somewhat heinous. Mm. The Siberian wolves are uh, there's a there's an overpopulation of this wolf came from a place where there were some incredible problems. Yeah, and and there's plenty of wolves and and mm -hmm. the other thing is. I have great respect for those wolves and yeah. great respect for that anorak when I'm wearing it. Mm. I don't know. I feel those wolves and, um, nothing, but I want to do nothing but honor them. Mm -hmm. um, I mm -hmm. had people on my Facebook page and it just sends me into orbit. Mm. Ask me, Hey, how do I get one? And right. I was, I, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't okay. even answer. I, no. Okay. Yeah, that's thank a you. one-off piece. Yeah, it certainly is, and we can we can put we can put that photo if you send me that photo. I think we've got it, haven't we? We can put that on the show notes, so so people can have a sure look. Thing. Yeah, oh, good. Uh, which brings sure. us which brings us to tea, which is your thoughts about Antarctica as a place. I mean, I can't think of asking this question to a a, a more experienced person. Um, what are your thoughts? on the why Antarctica is so important and, and, and a special place? Well, it's incredibly important, uh, incredibly important because it holds, uh, I mean, so much of the earth's fresh water. Um, Antarctica staying frozen would be a good thing. Mm. Uh, of mm. course, you know, with the, what we're, all the things we're discussing and thinking, uh, working with climate change and mm -hmm. how that affects things like our ocean levels and such. And uh, the Antarctic environment is, um, is fragile yeah. and uh, um, it needs to be preserved. And we have uh, an Ar Antarctic treaty that, that does that, mm -hmm. that I think does mm -hmm. a pretty damn good job of preserving Antarctica as a, as a resource for all and not militarizing it or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And we've worked together with uh, you know, international community to keep Antarctica as pristine as we possibly can. Um, I think it's an incredibly part of our planet. Uh, to me, my thoughts on Antarctica are another thing, though, too. One, of course, is, you know, the continent itself and the ice and all that. But the other for me is what I did with my three winter crews. Um, mm -hmm. There are only around 1,600 people that have ever wintered at the South Pole. And I led three of the crews. I'm the first winter manager in history to do three winters at the okay. South Pole. Okay. Now that's a modest accomplishment because the record for winters at the South Pole is around 15 that a couple Whoa. of science guys have done. Right. Okay. But the winter managers don't tend to ever come yeah. back. Yeah. And and uh, and I did three times. But it doesn't matter about me. What matters what does matter is those crews. Mm -hmm. that they made it through these a year down there through these harsh, dark cold winters and were just exceptional uh, and I'm very very proud of that yeah so when I think back you know of course I think of you know myself outside um, I think I've mentioned it's in my Facebook thing one thing that I like to do is walk I never missed a day outside in the time I was there and I ended and up you covered quite 300 you, miles I was going to say you covered quite a distance yeah yeah for those every for day a few miles yeah yeah but up. I never yeah. missed a day yeah, it fantastic. added up to 4,300 and some miles. Mm -hmm. so, so what it meant to me was, you know, it's not the same as pulling a sled and, you know, doing mm. something like that. But it's a, but at the same time, I'm also facing a much colder, harsher environment than mm -hmm. that summertime mm -hmm. in Arctic and true, which is yeah. simply like being in the American Midwest in the winter. Um, when you're talking minus 75 C, mm. you know, that's lethal yeah. stuff. Yeah, I yeah. Never, never missed a day. So 
Brilliant. So Antarctica holds a lot to me um, between, you know, being outside, experiencing that and my cruise, mm. my, you know, wonderful cruise that mm-hmm. I had. Great. Well, we, we've got loads of questions for you here. And so uh, as, as this is going out on Christmas Day, um, shall we start with a Christmas one? Sure, let's start with the Christmas one. Okay, so um, clearly you won't be there this Christmas, but have you celebrated a Christmas in Antarctica? I have. I've celebrated, um, let's see, at least two Christmases in Antarctica because those occur in the Antarctic summer, and I've spent two summers and then the three winters. So um, Christmas in Antarctica is a a special place and then of course people like to talk about santa claus is at the other pole uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's as far away <laughs> as you can possibly get yeah but it's still a, it's still a special time Christmas is always that no matter where you are brilliant okay and the, do, do you eat christmas dinner down there and yeah yeah have a lovely christmas dinner on, mm-hmm. on our thanksgiving and also our we have a beautiful christmas dinner that They'll have that this year, too. Great. Um, okay. Um, we have some incredible chefs down there who do a really good job cooking. Okay. And I've had just beautiful Christmas dinners. So that, that'll be uh, being prepared while we're on air? or <laughs> <laughs> They might be having it right yeah. now. <laughs> they could okay. be. Yeah, great. Okay, so um, I'm going to give a special shout out to uh, the scout group that's helped me the most. Uh, so that's the 8th Wingham Scout Group, uh, which is a, a small village in Kent. And they had a whole Antarctica evening, Wayne, uh, when they, uh, they they sort of celebrated Antarctica, uh, all the cubs and the scouts. Um, and then they uh, all wrote down their questions for you. So I've got, I've got questions from the young people here. So Fantastic. We'll just go in any particular, just the order they come. So this one's for Jess, if Jess is listening. So Jess wants to know, uh, what do you enjoy most about your job? Well, it's, that's an easy one. It's the people. It's the crew members. Okay. Um, uh, they, uh, they mean everything to me. And, um, and then leading a successful um, South Pole winter crew is uh, an absolutely sublime experience. But it's all about the crew members. Yeah. Every success is theirs. Any failures are mine. It's all about the crew. <laughs> and how 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 big's the crew? It's like, well, we've had uh, my first crew was forty six, but mm-hmm. now the last two have been forty two. Okay, yeah, okay, right. This one's from Monty. So if Monty's listening, I hope he is, or he will do at some point. Um, how do you keep the ice off your face while you're outside? I don't. In fact, I want the ice on my face. Now, now this is this is an interesting thing. Uh-huh. Um, when you look at some of the photos of myself, I've got I'm wearing uh, several balaclavas. Yeah. Uh, on over my face, and what I do is um, I I breathe forcefully, kind of out, and I'm trying to build up an ice layer. So I'm not, and this is I'm talking so it's about actually the, the ice winter. The ice becomes an insulation layer. Ah, it does. Ah. The ice becomes an insulation layer. Okay. And so on those coldest days, I've got a block over my face and it keeps my whole face warm. Fantastic. Oh, that's brilliant. I'm sure Monty would be really impressed with that. So yeah, that's great. Okay. Uh, well, Monty, that's how, that's what, how we do it. Yeah. Right. We've got Isaac next. So Isaac says, uh, how do you get enough vitamin D in winter? Mm. 
That is an Isaac has asked uh, an uh, an excellent question, and we actually I take supplements. I uh-huh. take a, a supplement for mm-hmm. that for that vitamin D. I think it's a D three or something because studies okay. have shown that there's certain things like memory loss and such, and so we t- I take. So it's it really important. Uh, yeah. Most of us yeah. do. Yeah. Okay. It yeah. is. Yeah. No okay. sunlight or anything. Cool. Right, this one's from Matt, who's uh, who's the leader there at. Uh, uh, so this is one of the scout leaders. He wants to know uh, what are your most critical supplies apart from food that you need delivered throughout the season. Fuel, absolutely, it's fuel. Fuel, okay. uh, fuel, fuel runs that uh, runs you know our power plant and keeps us warm. Okay. Um, and our fuel, we get some from aircraft, but we also have what's called the South Pole Overland Traverse. It actually makes the drive uh-huh. uh, in, in vehicles all the way from McMurdo um, up the Leverett Glacier, um, yeah, through, and then and then all the way to Pole. Wow! Um, and uh, and I and they have a nice road that I use for exercise too. <laughs> Got it flagged off. That's the road they come in on. All right, okay. That's the road they built it. They make the road. They oh, do okay. the crevasse yeah. checks and all that stuff. Those are the real unsung heroes. Yeah, that that's where road. I've seen that where they have to somehow check ahead. Um, if there's going to be yeah. any any yeah. crevasse, yeah, any any ice. Breaks. Absolutely. Okay, this is from one of the other leaders there at Eighth Deal. Um, so this is Ken. Ken wants to know: <laughs> Do you use de-icer? <laughs> de-icer? Um, <laughs> no, because I don't think it would just. There's, it's always it would just freeze. Anything would freeze. Even it's the de-icer. Question. Yeah, even um, the de-icer would freeze. Yeah, the de-icer would freeze. Uh huh. Interestingly enough, uh, enough, Ken. Um, <laughs> Fuel, our fuel will freeze at minus 86 Fahrenheit, whatever that is in C. Yeah. And so that's why we can't fly aircraft in in, ah, the, in the wintertime. Okay. It's too cold at for that time of year. You can't even. The hydraulics. Right. That's so, right. So is there only a. So, yeah, that half, really half a year when you can fly in then? Is that. Is... Well, yeah, let me explain yeah. our seasons. Now, yeah. being the winter over person, our winter, our, our, our summer at Pole runs mm-hmm. from around November 1st to February 15th. Mm-hmm. Everything else is winter. Yeah. So from February 15th to November yeah. is winter. Yeah. During that time, there's no flights. No flights um, in or out. It gets caught dark. Okay. It gets cold. No flights in or out. So that Whoa. last flight on February 15th is an interesting one. You wave goodbye to this aircraft, yeah. realizing you're not going to see another one until October, November of okay. the next year. Whoa. So, or that year, you know, later. And so it's a, it's kind of a... Is that the last you know, time you get any physical you know, supplies, Wayne, or...? Yeah, there's, there's no, no way. There's no other that. way. So yeah. You've got to have... There's no other way. We, they had a, a couple of medevac flights in the winter that were emergency, but those were an act of God. If you look at what it took to put that together and the way things worked out to yeah. try to get a little aircraft in to haul someone out... The chance of doing it, you, yeah. you know, you couldn't do that on any kind of scale. Wow! So we have to be fully self-sufficient. We have to be. We are the fire crew. Yeah. We are the emergency responders. We are everything. There's nobody Crikey. coming to help. No, that's that's great. So, okay. So um, this is from Allison. Uh, Allison wants to know: Is there an equal ratio of men and women in the employed in the professional teams at the base? Allison, that's a wonderful question. And if you were to ask my crew members, they would say they they wish it was. But as of now, it is it is still mostly male. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a number of females, but it's probably it's less than uh, 
the percentages around, let's see, about 20, maybe 20% or so female, okay. a little bit less. Yeah. Out of 42, we had like seven or eight females this year. Um, so the percentages is lower. Mm -hmm. We certainly are looking for females. That's a fact. Okay. There you go. There's a job for you there, Alison. So. We're ready, Alison. <laughs> uh, right. Daisy wants to know how cold does it get at night? Um, during our Antarctic winter, which which the coldest you'll get into will be around August, sometimes September, actually anywhere after June, mm -hmm. um, it, it's gotten colder than minus 75C. Whoa. That's that's absolutely uh, stunning. And it stays, you know. I never realized it got yeah. that cold. Hey, but worse. Yeah. It, it does, Alan. It gets that cold. And worse than that for me outside walking was... The minus 75C, interestingly enough, when you're out in that, generally the, the conditions that cause it mean very light to no wind, not much wind. Okay. But if you get to about a minus 65C or so and some 20 knot winds, you you're going wind to have chill. a wind chill wind around chill. a minus 130. Whoa. And it'll take your face off. Whoa. It's, it's, it's harsh. Oh, my word. Uh, there you go, Daisy. So uh, you need to wrap up warm at night down there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now this is this is this is an interesting one from young Harvey. Harvey wants to know: Does the South Pole smell? That's a that's a good question because um, it does it, it it was an interesting interesting thing. People have told me that they thought that at minus one hundred Fahrenheit, minus seventy two or seventy three C. They noticed the distinct smell. I think they were just burning the insides of their noses with the with the cold. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I personally I don't have a very good sense of smell, mm -hmm. but I don't think it has a, any kind of a smell um, that I that I've ever noted. Okay. Yeah, it's no, a great cool. question. Uh, yeah, great question from Harvey. Because yeah, I mean, the, the, some of the yeah. questions you guys have come up with have been brilliant. So, okay. Yeah, brilliant. There right. Really are. Uh, now I've got. I've got a couple more on my phone. Just let me access them. <laughs> we don't want to leave anyone out after all this. Well, so, no, no, this is fun. Yeah, hang on. <laughs> so, here we go. I've got another one here from, I think it's from a pool. Let's, uh... Okay. How did you apply for a job at the South Pole? It's not the sort of job you see advertised normally. No, it's not. But in the circles that I've worked uh, in, the, in the overseas contract world, um, the, they're out there. You know, mm -hmm. those jobs are out there. It wasn't hard for me to find. In fact, about 10 years ago, I was an alternate for the South Pole winter manager. Uh -huh. um, all our positions have alternates because you could lose a person at the last okay. minute. I and see. so yeah. you put them through the training, you put them through the medical, you put them through that. Well, yeah. I went through all that years ago as an alternate, but the primary deployed, mm -hmm. much to my dismay, but you know, good for them. They yeah. deployed. And then, um, and then I didn't as the alternate, but then I knew about the program. And then I just happened to see an advertisement where I knew to look while I was out on Ascension Island. Okay. And I was kind of horrified to see it because yeah, yeah. I was loving Ascension Island at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully that answers Paul's question. So, Paul, there, there are jobs. that they, they, they do come up. you just got to look on the right right job list. Yeah. 
Antarctic employment. Google, you know, Antarctic <laughs> there employment. There we go. There. Right. Uh, now, this is my question. Um, I want to know, does anything other than humans live or survive at the pole? Is there any other life? Now, that is a great question. Um, it doesn't, mm -hmm. except... Uh, interestingly enough, it doesn't, but we had an interesting thing occur in our greenhouse this year, ah. or not, not this year, it was last year, where we had these tiny little bugs that came from somewhere uh -huh. that were in the greenhouse, and we had to sterilize it. We ended yeah. up bleaching yeah. it and, and yeah. killing it, but I almost felt bad about it. Because it was actually some little, other life, yeah. They had somehow made their way in something down there with the greenhouse products mm -hmm. and then multiplied. And I have to say, I had great admiration for them. Mm. You know, it reminds mm. me of the movie Jurassic Park. Where yeah. Jeff Goldblum says something <laughs> life finds a way. Finds a way. I wondered if there was anything <laughs> else down there that was alive, you know, because uh, obviously we've made but it. But there isn't. I mean, no, than, no. You know, so you, you never see yeah, it, any disgusting. any form of wildlife. So it's very strange. So, yeah. No. Okay, good. Uh, and this one's from my wife because uh, uh, she wanted to ask you a question. Um, so Andrea's, sure. Andrea has asked... Um, she, she she's obviously she, we've seen the aurora borealis in the north but yeah. she wants to know about your experiences with the aurora australis and and is it something you see every night is it something that 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 becomes just normal or or, or is it still extremely yeah. special what's your experience with it yeah, um, it's very interesting with the uh, aurora australis and that what you'll notice with a winter crew is at the start of winter, once it gets dark, um, I know from where my office was, I'd hear a little stampede as they run down the hallway and they, and there was just a tiny speck of an aurora out there. And it was, they wanted to see it so bad. This, and all it would be is a little green model thing. Well, later as they got used to, you know, the real deal, yeah. they never did it again. You know, they never came down again. Yeah. But the auroras can be quite spectacular. Uh -huh. and I love being out on a night on a, on a, in the dark with a really vibrant aurora you can mm -hmm. actually see kind of a strange greenish uh especially if you had a full moon at the same time oh wow um, i'm not gonna say it was daylight but i yeah. could see yeah buildings i could see ahead i could see from the light of the aurora and then the moon too wow so that they are special and that's yeah what we have but, we have some but and i suppose very very weather dependent I don't know exactly yeah. exactly what it would be weather dependent yeah, yeah. because if we have yeah. anything like low clouds or something mm -hmm. that we you won't can't see, see the aurora. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we it would be weather dependent. It's got to be a clear night. Yeah. But the way they pop up, Alan, is just the strangest thing. There is a way to predict it. They can predict it with this electromagnetic whatever and what's happening. Yeah. Um, and um, we actually had some kind of an aurora camp thing in the in our station that would tell us, hey, it's time. And the guys would go running for the door, grabbing cameras and stuff like that. Uh -huh. um, spectacular, though. Really okay. spectacular. Yeah, cool. Um, and we've got one more question from Suzanne. She wants to know how you got the job. Well, I paid off this guy that... Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't pay off. <laughs> I... Uh, I uh, <laughs> 
I applied and they made a mistake and hired me. So <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I think they've got the best amb <laughs> best ambassador they could have. Yeah. <laughs> well, it it was basically you know I saw that that the job posting and I had been the alternate years before, uh -huh. um, but I had what was unusual about my application was so many years of remote site experience around the world and other places for were most of the winter managers that do the one and done one time they they've never done anything like that and they yeah. don't want to again no, afterwards. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. that's what i had done for years you know through through around the world and in, in fairly remote places so it was a natural and then um so that's basically, you know, how I got that. But, and then when I interviewed, you know, I, I, one thing I do now, particularly now, when you're young and you interview, mm -hmm. you'll tell you about anything for a job you want. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as I've gotten older, I, I am reticent. I would never do that. I want the person that hires me to know what they're getting with something mm -hmm. like me. Mm -hmm. And what they're going to get is somebody that takes things quite seriously. My, yeah. my, love of history and the, you know, the history of the pole, fantastic stuff as it was. And also mm -hmm. that I will take this thing seriously as far as how I will handle my crews as yeah. the captain of a ship. Yeah. And, you know, they want, they wanted that in the interview and mm -hmm. let me do two more winters. So, you know, I guess it all worked out. Okay. And I thank God for that and thank them for that. And that, I'm, I'm just thinking of another question on the fly here. I'm interested in the training that you, you and your crew have, because yeah. clearly you're, there are things that you have to cover that other people wouldn't have to know about in normal life, like how to pull a tooth out or whatever, you know? Um, yeah. 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 Is there a, a lot of extra, well, there must be extra training that you have. So. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, yeah, I'll explain yeah. a little bit. Uh, great. What you mentioned about the tooth. Yeah. Our doctors, who yeah. are not dentists, go yeah. through a little training session on uh -huh. how to do, you know, basic a, dentistry. A remove yeah. a tooth if they yeah. have to. Yeah. Dentistry, and they go, and they, and then, of course, now what's lucky is having the internet resources and that type of thing. Of course, yeah, get some help. Yeah, but the, our doctors did do dental work uh, during the winter, you know, emergency dental work. Mm -hmm. Now, how about this? For the rest of us, prior to deployment, we go through several trainings. Um, mm -hmm. One training is called team building, where they take us up in the mountains of Estes Park in Colorado, mm -hmm. and then run us. You know, you run the crew through exercises, and you see what they'll do as far as working together or yeah. not working together. Yeah, um, different type things. That Crucial you, that you to do. anything. So yeah, we do a few days. It is. It is, and yet it tells me as a leader, as a crew leader what I'd be getting because mm -hmm. you can start to see things emerge in people's personality, how yep. well we're going to get along and such. Mm -hmm. Then we go down to medical and fire training. Um, we have the doctor and a nurse, but that we need to augment that. So we then run people through a wilderness medical course. Mm -hmm. And then other folks, we go to fire training where they're wearing the self-contained wow. breathing apparatus really? and the bunker yeah. gear. Yeah. And uh, we're, they put us in a heat chamber and show us what's like when you're on fire. You know, yeah. when you're but, hot. So it could, uh, everything's because, got to be doubled up, hasn't it? Because it could be you that's putting out the fire. It could be you that's having the, you know, it, it, you've got to, You can't just have one abs person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's, no, that's fascinating. No, we had, and yeah. what I would learn to do through my years, it, 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 I wanted as many people trained as possible mm -hmm. to give me the best amount of resources should we ever get that call that we've god forbid that we have a fire hmm. you know some night there um i always wanted to be ready for that i, I yeah. i'm a real believer in that um 
and planning yeah. ahead. You know, yeah. like the Marines, we would say sweat in peacetime rather than bleed in war. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. That I makes made sense. that kind of a motto. <laughs> I think that's a good, good, good one to live by. Yeah. Go. Wow. Okay. And uh, I guess we'll finish with um, what, 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 what's the one piece of advice you'd like to give to the young people going on this expedition? Oh my gosh. I would say, I would say to spend some time really getting into the history and understand what Ernest Shackleton did and what he was as a man. Um, he was an incredible human being and their, their, their trip is going to be wonderful no matter what. But I think to try to, for them to spend the extra time to understand him and not just him, that crew that he had, those mm-hmm. other fellows were magnificent. Mm. Um, and to embrace the history that they're going to embark on mm-hmm. and embrace, you know, this from the past so that they really understand what happened. The quest was a sad situation. Of course, you know, yeah. Ernest didn't, didn't live long, mm. but he had come from, you know, his, the discovery expedition with Captain Scott and then also his own Nimrod expedition, yeah. which stood 90 some miles from yeah, the Yeah, they pole, were close to the pole. Made the right decision. They, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Really, made the decision to turn around. Yeah, I mean, I interviewed uh, another chap, Brad Borken. I don't know if you've come across Brad, um, but he's written a book about uh, polar polar leaders, Shackleton, Amundsen, so on, and and the decision and the decisions they had to make, and uh, yeah, and that was a a hell of a decision to to turn around that when he did. It yeah, was. And, yeah. you know, Alan, when you read that and you read Shackleton's diary, hmm. even leaving, even even doing that, you know, just short of 100 miles from the pole, hmm. they barely made it back. Yeah. I mean, that was yeah. touch and go. Yeah. They had bad weather he saved, or whatever. He, he saved them uh, by coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Oh, he, they wouldn't mm. have survived mm. if he'd have mm. done shot it for that last 100 miles. That yeah. Would have been it. No, so he did. Definitely a wise move. But, but I would tell yeah. the people that, you know, embrace that history, embrace mm-hmm. You know, understand it. Spend the time to do the research on it, so you know those great. those great men that went before them. That is wonderful advice. Thank you so much, Wayne. <laughs> so, thanks for listening. To find out more about the Request Twenty Twenty One project and how you can support and follow our progress, just visit our website on www dot request 2021.org.uk that's www.request 2021.org.uk and uh, please give this podcast a review share it and uh, and spread the word to anyone you know who's interested in antarctica thank you